proper English, but ain't God good? <laughs> he is really good. Let's stand just a few moments, give you time to rest and and uh, just be able to feel. Well, I just feel refreshed in the Lord. It's always good after a hard day <laughs> and all of this for all of us just to get together and just feel the good presence of the Lord. We're going to be reading tonight from Matthew about the 15th chapter, the ninth verse. Well, let's start in the 7th verse. And I like what Dale said. Get that out of my way just a little bit. I like what Dale said. This is not going to be at you. It's going to be to you. And any time that any minister preaches a message, if he's any type of a minister at all, God has already got to him with the message. <laughs> he's already raked him over the coals about his weaknesses and his failures. And uh, so he gets a double raking for the most part and a double challenge when he delivers it to you. But some time ago I was thinking on worship. There's so many ideas and opinions on worship, what it is, uh, how we should participate, and all of this. And God began to deal with me on what worship was all about. And that's what I want to deal with tonight. Jesus is talking, of course, to the scribes and Pharisees. He begins with some strong language. Seventh verse, ye hypocrites, well did Esaias prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And he called a multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand, not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth a man. Then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone, they be blind leaders of the blind, and if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Declare unto us this parable. And Jesus said, Are you also yet without understanding? Father, again, as we come into your presence, we're just thankful to you for your divine love, for your grace and your mercy. We thank you, Father, for this people. We thank you, Father, for attitudes toward you. We pray tonight, Father, as we stand one more time behind your sacred desk, you would anoint your word. Let us speak your words and yours alone. Let us do nothing, Father, that would go against you, that would defile you, or the place that we stand. And we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I want to call your attention tonight for our Bible study in the ninth verse. But in vain... They they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. There's a lot of things you could say concerning this, but we want to dispense with that. I want to deal immediately with worship. Vain worship, or that word is empty worship. Empty worship. And I was made aware that it is possible for us to worship and worship in vain or worship 
or present to God an empty worship. The English, of course, of worship is to love, means to admire, means to idolize, adore, respect, honor, and reverence. But from the Greek word, it's eusebi, simply means direct acknowledgement of God. When you worship, it means direct acknowledgement of God, direct acknowledgement of his nature, of his attributes, of his ways, of his laws and commandments, through words and deeds or actions from the heart. Now that's saying a lot in one small word in the Greek, but it's always hard coming from Greek to Hebrew or Hebrew to Greek or Greek to English to get in one word what they're trying to say. Let's go over that again. It's direct acknowledgement of God. Anytime we are worshiping God, we acknowledge him directly. And in doing that, we acknowledge his nature. We acknowledge his attributes. We acknowledge his ways that are so far above ours. We acknowledge his laws and commandments are for us. And we also acknowledge this through words that we speak, which we could worship God in prayer. We could worship God in praise. We can worship God in testimony. Or we could worship God in witnessing. Many different ways to worship God. Somehow we have limited to coming together and worshiping God, and that's fine, that's part of it, that's public worship. But there's other types of worship. And not only do you worship Him through words, but also, also through deeds and actions. But all of this becomes empty and it becomes vain unless it's coming from the heart unless we're actually in direct contact with God at the time that this is going on, and what we're saying doesn't come from the mouth or off the top of our head, but it comes directly from the heart. So I've found that it's hard to worship God without an intimate relationship with Him, without coming into His presence, recognizing His nature, direct acknowledgement that He is God and there is no other... God before him. I acknowledge his laws are for me. I acknowledge his commandments are for me. I do this through words and I do this through deeds. God lets us know immediately that there is one object of worship. And that alone, Exodus 20 and 3, and you just write these scriptures down because they're in there. It says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Almost one of the first commandments given is, Do you not have no other gods before me? Now, we're living in a civilized day and time in the United States of America, and as far as setting up idols like they do in India, places like that, we simply don't have them. But if we're not careful, we have other idols, other things that we worship, other things that we acknowledge without acknowledging God, acknowledging God. Matthew 4.10 also says, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Now that's a pretty strenuous commandment, but it's one that he has given us. He said, No one else is to be worshipped, not even angels. They can't be angels worshipped. We can recognize angels. We can respect angels for who they are, and the work they do in our lives. 
that protects and helps and keeps and stabilizes. I heard one minister say one time that angels are not active anymore, especially since the infilling of the Holy Ghost. I was a little surprised at that because I found that the Apostle Paul <laughs> had some experience with angels one time and he definitely was filled with the Holy Ghost. You see, so we need all the help we can get, don't we? <laughs> I mean, we're filled with the Holy Ghost. God is in us. But if he has angelic beings out here that's at, at our beck and call, I think we ought to recognize that they're there, don't you? The Apostle Paul recognized that and even filled with the Holy Ghost. While the ship was sinking, <laughs> he had a special visitation from an angel. And, of course, you know the story how he came out and he said, uh, don't let anybody leave the ship. And then he said, there stood by me an angel this night with a message that he carried to us. So angels are important. They need to be recognized. They need to be respected, but they never need to be worshipped. God tells us that in Revelation 19.10 where John is saying, I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. And then he said, Worship God. So you have a direct acknowledgement that God is the only one to worship. Again, I'm going to reiterate, respect angelic beings. Know that they're there. You're not uh, superstitious if you believe that. I have seen times that uh, I knew that there had to be guardian angels over me. Times when my life could have been taken from me immediately had not been some dispatch from the very portals of glory just for me to keep me safe until my work here was finished as far as God is concerned. So I recognize that. I recognize angels coming in areas to comfort us, to stand by us, to protect us. But we're in no means to worship them. <laughs> what you do when you feel like one has interceded for you, intervened for you, lift your hands and worship God. Because after all, it all comes from Him. And God is a jealous God. He just don't like it when we point our praise toward anybody but Him. I liked it, what went on tonight, what God gives us. Not what we have done, not our abilities, but it's what God gives us. And recognizing God is the one. If he wants us to have it, we do our best. I mean, we just don't sit down and say, Lord, just throw it on me. We do the best we can. And once we've done the best we can, if that is for us, God will let us have it. But he always answers. Sometimes he just says no. <laughs> Sometimes he says wait a while. And not often, right often, does he say yes. A lot of times it's just wait a while. Just have patience, I'm going to do it. And then there is a call to worship. I don't know if you've ever, ever really dwelled on that or not. I have. And I've come to realize that the psalmist David probably said it best when he spoke in Psalms 95, 60 when it says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. I've come to realize that he didn't necessarily mean that we were going to have to bow in the body, which is fine, well, and good. But more than anything else, God likes us to bow in his presence in spirit, humbling not only our knees, but humbling our heart and humbling our mind and humbling our whole being and bowing down in his presence. 
said, Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. That is recognizing God, isn't it? That is just looking and saying, let's kneel in his presence. Let's bow before him. Let's recognize him and his divinity, who he is and what he has done for. He is our God. I like to say that over and over. He's my God. I like it personal. He's my God. <laughs> Hallelujah. He's a God of the world, but he made it so personal with me when he said he was my God. And I like that scripture, old Sunday school scripture, we used to say, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I just heard that ever since I was in Sunday school, a little babe, and it didn't mean too much to me. To me. So God loves the world. Well, there's a mass of humanity out there. But when God let me to know that I could say it safely, For God so loved me that he gave his only begotten Son, that if I believed in him, I would not perish but have everlasting life, brings a personal contact between me and my God. And makes me just realize if I was the only person in this world, he would have still died just for me. Hallelujah. And I like that. And that's why I like to call him as Psalmist David, for he is our God. And more than that, but we are the people of his passion and the sheep of his hand makes it so personal to realize and anytime you read concerning shepherd and sheep you you'll see the relationship between that and uh, then there is a preparation for worship i was startled when i began to deal with that and i'm not going to go into all the things that god uh dealt with me with but i begin to realize the failure of myself First of all, and then perhaps many of us, are preparing for worship. And I begin to realize the shortcomings and the, the uh, failures that we have in coming together in our meetings sometimes. And I don't know that I'm particularly talking to you. I, all I can say if the shoe fits, we have to wear it. But many times we feel like when we come into the house of God, then it's the time to prepare for worship. But it's really not. There should have been a preparation for worship almost all that day or maybe almost all of that week. There should be a preparation to worship God. In the Old Testament, Exodus 19, 10 and 11, which are ex examples to us, the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them. Sanctify simply means nothing more or less than separating them from evil things or evil ways. In other words, separate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes and be ready against the third day. As I looked at that, I realized there needs to be a separation in our heart and in our mind, not just beginning at service time, but beginning perhaps at the end of the service and continuing on until the next, next service. And once doing that, we would be prepared to open our entire being in worship and adoration to God. And then I notice the significance in there where it says, let them wash their clothes. It didn't say, let them change their clothes. It said, let them wash their clothes. Now, we have put on the righteous garments of the Lord Jesus Christ through no goodness of our own, but through the graciousness of Jesus. He has allowed us to approach the throne of grace and mercy robed in the righteousness of Christ Jesus. Now, we have them. 
But in this world, sometimes we pick up defilement. You know that as well as I do. And in doing that, Moses said, tell them to wash their clothes. Don't change, but wash their apparel. Cleanse it from every spot that they might have picked up on it before they come to God, before they come to worship him. This is preparation for worship. And the way we do that is the washing of the water by the word. There's no better way to get prepared to worship God than getting into the Word of God and letting it say something to us. How many like to let the Word talk to you? Amen. I like to let it talk to me, but it tells me a lot of things I don't want to hear. <laughs> Amen. This outer man doesn't want to hear it. The inner man wants to hear whatever it takes to be what God wants me to be. And uh, so God talks to us through his word. And this gets us ready for the appearance of Jesus. said here, for the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of the people on Mount Sinai. Now, of course, we don't worship him there in the mountain of thunderings and lightnings and quakings and fear where the people are afraid to approach him. But we are come to Mount Zion, come boldly to the throne of grace and mercy, thank God, prepared to honor and to worship him coming to him as the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from every sin and iniquity and the word of God keeps us spotless as we approach God in a spotless form. That's the only way we can approach him. You see, you can't approach God in sinful form. That's why we have to have Jesus. Amen. That's why we have to plead the blood of Jesus. I have no way to get to God, no way at all to get to God except through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then... Let's back up a little bit and talk about some types of worship. Now, we've had to have a call to worship, and God certainly has invited us to worship Him. I don't know really what makes humanity worthy. They even be called in this presence to worship Him, but there is a call there. And also a preparation to worship God, and there's many different types of worship. Let's deal first with public worship kind of like we're doing tonight. Coming into his presence, Psalm, Psalmist David again, which is one of the experts on worship, 107th Psalm, 32nd verse, said, Let them exalt him also in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders, or an assembly called by the elders. In other words, that's public worship. Anytime we come together, into the house of God as we are now, it should be for one single purpose and that alone, and that's to lift up God Almighty. As that's to move Him into the presence and let mankind see past us, regardless of how ugly or how pretty we are, see past us and see nothing save Jesus Christ. We ought to make Him so real in our life that people don't see us at all. All they see is the God we exalt, and the God we worship, and the God we honor. And that's what public worship is all about. Exalt him in the congregation of the people. Praise him in the assembly of the elders, or assembly called by elders. In other words, we're here tonight to let each other know that the most precious thing in our life tonight is Jesus. Nothing supersedes him. My job doesn't supersede him. Any experience that I've ever had doesn't supersede Christ. 
In other words, he is the main object of worship and we exalt him. We lift him up. Anything we say or do, it has been because of God. He gives us the breath to do it and the strength to do it. And anytime anybody comes in those doors, we ought to let them know that we are worshiping God. Not man. Let man disappear. Man's had it too long, saints. Man's had it too long. God needs to get a hold of it again. God needs to be in the pulpit and in the pew and surrounding the altar. And if man needs to see anybody, they need to see Jesus. They don't need to see me. They need to see Christ. They need to see Christ through me. See past me and let them know that God is still able... God is still on the throne. God is not alive. God is not dead, but God is still alive. And we get him out of the pages of this little black book and let him walk in the present day that we are living in. He's not a God of the past alone or the God of the future alone, but he happens to be alive tonight. Thank God, living in my heart and living in your heart. And the main object of our worship, praise and honor and glory, whether it's in testifying, whether it's in ministry, whether it's in a handshake, or whether it's in just a word of, uh, of caution or whatever it might be, it is just to exalt God in the congregation of the people. Let them see and know that you are exalting Him. And in the assembly, any assembly that's called by the elders, we need to recognize that. That is one type of worship, the main type, I would say, and sometimes... I really fear that that might be the only type that most people recognize. But there's another type of worship, and that's private worship. Worshiping God in private. Matthew talks about that. Jesus talks about it in Matthew. When he gives some explicit orders and commandments. Six and six, but said, but when thou prayest, See, praying is a type of worship. How many of you know that? I mean, you just don't... You know, people have got worship down to coming in, lifting your hands. If you don't lift your hands, you're not worshiping God. If you don't cry out real loud, you're not worshiping God. You know, Pentecostals are probably the worst. If you don't make a big noise, something's wrong with you. I don't have anything against that because I'm the greatest noise maker there is. But I watch people shout and dance. And I watched them go out and live like the devil the next day. Then I watched real quiet people, very quiet in their worship and honor, and live a good, solid life. I don't question their worship anymore. I don't try to, to question it. All I know is this. However we worship Him, we've got to do it from the heart. Let's don't ever waste our time with empty worship. Let's not waste our efforts of lifting God with empty words that don't mean anything coming from our lips or the top of our head. If it don't come from the heart, don't say them. Amen? Amen. If it don't come from way down inside, just don't do them. Don't waste any energy or time in vain, empty worship. And we have churches filled with individuals that go through their uh, rigmaroles and their forms and formalities and all of this. <laughs> Pentecost got, got it down pat. They know, to, they know how to lift their hands and they know to, how to shout and they know how to dance and they make all the right religious noises there is. But sometimes it's just, uh, it, it's just empty. It doesn't mean anything. It's not coming from the heart. It's coming from the lips. They're wanting people to hear who they are 
how good they are and how long they've done well. Let me tell you something. Nobody is good but God. And who has made good and that's you and I. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. I want to worship Him right now. <laughs> Hallelujah. From way down deep inside, I just want to say thank you, Lord, for the privilege of just entering in and worshiping with people. Hallelujah. But then it says, when you pray, now this is not to do away with public prayer. There's nothing wrong with that. But something's missing if that's all we have. Amen? But it says, but when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to the Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee. And now the uh, King James Version has got openly in there, and that's omitted in the original. But I don't know that that matters at all. But it, it, it is like that. Thy Father which seeth thee in secret shall reward thee. In other words, there's a time when you just need to get shut in with God. When you just need to be with Him and Him alone. You also find in Matthew 14, 23, And when He had sent the multitudes away, now here's our example. He went up into a mountain apart to pray, and when the evening was come, he was there alone. There's a song that says, I love to be shut in with God. And some of the most precious moments, and I love to worship God with people, but some of my most precious moments have come when I've been in private worship with God. When I'm praying to God and interceding to God. When there's just nobody there, seemingly, and seems like his full attention. <laughs> seems like he just takes it away from everybody else. I know he doesn't, because you're probably in your closet at the same time. But it's, it seems like his entire attention is taken away from everybody else and given to me. Because he realizes, I need him. And I'm worshiping him. And it's, it's been done in private. Nobody knows the times that we go into our closet. Nobody knows the intercessory prayers we pray. Nobody knows what goes on between us and God. And private worship is important to public worship. If we don't have private worship, it's very hard to worship God in public as we should. But pu public worship doesn't take the place of private. I mean, we can stand and pray together, united prayer, and God asks us to. That doesn't take the place private prayer with God, or you're shut in with Him and just Him alone, and you've got some things you need to talk over with Him. So there's public worship, and then there's private worship, and then there's family worship. Probably one of the greatest failures in the church world today, you'll have to agree with me. And the reason it is, is because Satan has robbed us of precious time. We find it hard, harder than we ever used to find it. But I can remember that Dad would never sit down at the supper table without all the kids was there. This was a time of family worship. There was nine of us kids, <laughs> and it's hard to get us all together at that time. It's even harder now. But one of the most important things is family worship. Or you just worship God as a family. Whether that's in prayer, whether that's in scripture reading. You see, there's no set way to worship God. You worship Him in praise. You worship Him in prayer. You worship Him reading scriptures. 
to worship him and talking over family problems and how God can help us in our family problems and family affairs. This is worshiping God. You say, how is it? Because we are recognizing him as the one that can solve our problems. That's honor and worship to God. We're telling him, you can do it, God. And we're not denying him the chance to prove it to us. So family worship may not have an hour. You may not have 30 minutes. But someplace, somewhere in the course of a day, there should be some time for family worship. God ordained that that ought to be. Again, Deuteronomy speaks 16.11, And thou shalt rejoice before the Lord thy God, thou and thy son, and thy daughter, and the manservant, and thy maidservant, and the Levite that is within thy gates, and the stranger, and the fatherless, and the widow that are among you in the place which the Lord thy God has chosen to place his name there. What a privilege for God to pick us out as a family and place his name in our household. What a privilege that is. And God has chosen us and placed his name there. And when you, actually what this is saying is include everybody that is in your household. Back then they used to have servants. Strangers came in and abided with them. Include them in the family worship itself. And the fatherless and the widows that have nobody to worship God with. Amen? Worship with them. Include them in family worship in the place where the Lord has chosen to place his name there. And I liked that when I read it. I thought, God, how often do we miss that? How often do we miss the fact that you chose us? We really didn't choose you. You sought us and you found us and you chose us and you revealed your name to us and set your name in our house. What a privilege. Hallelujah. What a privilege that God has chosen us to put his name in our house. No wonder he wants us to worship. Joyful worship. Worshiping God. Psalms 101 and 2 says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Hallelujah. I like that. In other words, what he's really saying to us, look, I know things are hard. I know you've had a battle. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing this. I believe this is what he's saying when he says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. He didn't say that you just had to be overflowing with joy. He didn't say that. He didn't say your body couldn't be tired. He's actually saying, I know you've had a hard day. I know it's been rough. I know there's been a lot of things haven't gone your way. But listen, will you believe me enough and acknowledge me as God enough to come and just make a joyful noise to me? Just sing in my presence? Just rejoice in, in my presence and serve me with gladness? Do you acknowledge me enough coming from the heart to come and be glad and rejoice in spite 
of everything going wrong in your life. That's acknowledging God to the full. And God is asking us to do that. And that's with saying. Didn't say you had to be able to carry a note. I'd be glad for that. <laughs> Hallelujah, because I'd be left out. <laughs> he just said, make a joyful noise, and I do my best to do that. <laughs> of instruction. So you see, sometimes we don't have to think. Sometimes we don't have to shout. Sometimes we don't have to make much noise. Sometimes we just have to listen and be instructed by the Lord as to what would make a better life. And then there's some promised blessings that come from worship. How many of you know that? I mean, you just don't worship for nothing. God promises to bless you when you worship. Matthew 18, 19, and 20 says, Again, I say unto you. Evidently, he had said it before. <laughs> I like it when he says that. Again, I say unto you. In other words, it lets me to know that sometimes I'm so thick-headed he's got to say it again. So he says, again I say unto you, and that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that ye shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. In other words, you don't have to have 200. <laughs> and what he is saying here is if we're agreeing, not something that we can waste on our own flesh and lust and desire. He's not saying that. He'll give us a lot of good things, a lot of things we don't need. But in this one thing, he's talking about some things that would advance the kingdom of God. So actually what he's trying to say here is if there's two or three of us that's gathered together in his, name, in his name, he's here. And so if he's here, he hears what we desire to do. Amen? We're desiring to reach lost. He knows who we are. We're desiring an organ and a piano player. He knows who we are. Amen? And if he knows that and we're agreeing together that we need that, then something tells me he's just duty-bound to give us that. Because we're not wanting it to waste on our own stupidity, our own selfish desire. We're wanting it to advance the worship of God and the kingdom of God. And if we agree that we need a larger place, which eventually we will, but if we agree on that, now let's agree on that immediately. Let's don't wait when we don't have any room for anybody else to come. But let's agree on that immediately because God's here. How many of you believe he's here? We came to worship him, didn't we? We came to honor him. We came to find out what his will for us is in our life. And so it must be out here in Meridian someplace already. So we have to agree on that. And then we have to, as it's already said, agree on it, do the best we can. Amen. <laughs> Find somebody that can really play the piano, work on them. <laughs> All right, don't just ask God to. You do something about it. Or play the organ or, or whatever. Or somebody who's so hungry. I like hungry souls. There's too many people that's not hungry. Too many, too many people that's satisfied. You know, they're saved. So what else is it to do? And God says, I am there. Right in the midst. The promised blessing of a worship. If you're agreeing with touching anything that you shall ask. 
Uh, God also tells you, we've got to ask according to his will. That's when he hears us, when we're asking according to his will. I don't think that if we all agreed in here tonight that I would like to have $100,000 that I'm going to get it tomorrow. I just don't believe that because I don't need it. I could use it. Don't misunderstand me. I could use it, but I don't need it. But what we need more than me, $100,000, we need somebody that's hungry, somebody that's lost, somebody that's hurting. And we need an outreach that God would reach out his precious hands and draw people. I think we saw an example of that. I don't believe that happens fast to people I just walked by somebody said, well, they may not never come. That's beside the point. I mean, sure, we're going to work on them. We're going to pray that they do. But if they never enter that door, God made us acquainted with them. They felt the spirit and presence of God. God placed them there at that exact time, at that exact moment, to be witnessed to. And we were here to do it. That's the good thing about it. Think what would have happened if you hadn't been here. If someplace down through the divine providence of God, he hadn't saw fit to find a place where people would gather together in worship and adoration. So I'm a firm believer that what God wants, and we'll just bind together on that, there's a promised blessing of worship. Public worship where we come together, private worship where we worship God uh, just in spirit and in truth instructive worship, worship in joy and adoration in gladness. Somebody said, I don't have much to be glad about. You got the Savior. You got Jesus Christ. You got the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ cleanse you from all sin and iniquity. And if he never done another thing for you, that ought to be enough. With a glad heart to lift up a holy hand and praise and adoration to Jesus Christ. Promise blessings of worship. Let's don't have empty worship. Let's have worship that means something. Preparation for it. From the time we leave here, the word of God to cleanse us and keep our heart clean and apparel clean until the next service night where we come together and whether whether we dance or shout or whether we're solemn and hear instructions, it's still worship to God. Or whether I lift my hands and by my loudest voice cry Hosanna to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, or whether I sit silently from the heart and let my whole spirit cry out those same words, it doesn't matter as long as it's coming from Him, as long as it's not flattering. God don't want to be flattered. Amen. A lot of people try to flatter God. God don't like that. He just likes to be honest. And He knows flattery from honor. I know flattery from honor, and so I know God does. <laughs> I know when people pulling my leg. <laughs> I know when they're trying to tell me something that, that's, that's really not so, trying to flatter me in some areas. I know that. And that's just coming from the lips. So don't try to flatter God. <laughs> try to honor him. Let's stand right now. Just.